But let's go ahead and just jump into things. A lot I could say, but let's just jump into to James. I will make a reference to James is telling us uh, here this morning because we're reading out of the book of James. But let's, let's understand that this is an inspired word of God, and these are God's words for us this morning. And uh, there were several times, and I hope that God will take my feeble attempt here to communicate His truth to you this morning, that God will... Uh, use words this morning to convict you as I have been challenged and convicted in several, uh, several times in several areas, uh, even throughout the week. Hopefully that will be the case this morning. So James 1, our Lord willing, we're going to finish James 1 this morning. And as we kind of re- remind ourselves that genu- what, what genuine faith looks like is what James is talking about here. And just in review, what are some behaviors or actions that should be recognizable in a Christian's life? So as we review through kind of chapter 1, it started out where a genuine faith perseveres in trials. We had that in the first couple of verses in James. We looked at we should be growing in our ability to fight off temptation. We talked about how we should be seeking after godly wisdom. A couple times ago, we talked about how we should be quick to hear and quick to hear God's word. We should be slow to anger. Last time we looked in, uh, starting verse, uh, verses 22 through 25, we were looking at James is saying we should be a doer of the word, not just a hearer. And so sometimes James gets this bad rap, as we mentioned last time, for being all about works, right? But as we stated earlier, Paul asked this question, how is salvation received? And the answer was, By faith alone in Christ alone. James asked this question, how is salvation verified? And it is verified by works. And that's what we kind of find here in James. How is this played out in our life? So it's received by faith and is verified by works. You might have remembered last time we had that up there as well. By the way, I didn't give Renee notes to type out because I just thought, you know what, you can just fill in. I'm going to have some random thoughts here. You can take notes uh, if you normally do, as you will. I'll have a couple points, uh, but the thoughts will be pretty simple uh, and short here this morning. So let's go ahead and jump in and read verses 26 and 27 here this morning. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. I'll be honest with you, when I first thought these verses, I literally thought, I think I'm just going to jump to James 2. Because this is, I just wasn't... These are two great verses that we do not want to skip over. So let's go ahead and jump into verse 26. I'm going to read it again, and then we'll get into verse 26. So we're going to talk about verse 26 separate, then verse 27. We'll kind of combine the two, and and we'll be done here this morning. We'll move on uh, to communion here. Verse 26 again. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. All right, a couple observations here as I was Reading through this verse, two words stuck out to me that we found, well, one of the words, and back in verse 22, and we said, don't be a hearer only, but be a doer of the word, and those who hear only and don't do are deceiving themselves. Here we have the word, if anyone thinks he is religious, and then a little later on it says, but deceives his heart. So as I'm reading through here, we can think we're religious and we're deceiving our heart. I, I instantly thought, in fact, I was talking about uh, with Jeff this week. Remember last week when Jeff did this whole thing, right? And we can, be, we can go through life and we have this perspective that we have everything viewed correctly and properly. And we have the right perspective. And we see everything upright, but we, we don't. Here we kind of have with the same thought. If we think we're religious, 
but do not bridle our tongue, we deceive our heart, okay? So oftentimes we go through and think we have it all figured out. We think we're good to go. And here James reminds us that, that we're not. So here he uses the term, here James says, we think we are religious. Okay, what does this word religious mean? Religious carries this idea not of a level of godliness or spirituality. Uh, it's not referring to a heart attitude. It is referring to our outward expression of worship. So this religious here is referring to our outward expression. Okay? It's what we did this morning, the fact that you are here at church, okay? coming to church. It's our, our expression of religion, our rituals, our liturgy, right? giving, singing, those forms of worship. If anyone thinks he is religious, that's what we're referring to here. So the person who comes and does all of these religious things but doesn't control his tongue, then all this outward religion, what does James say, is worthless. Now, I ask myself, why the tongue? So if we ever get to James 3, we spend a good portion of James 3 talking about the tongue and how no man can tame the tongue, right? So why does he choose the tongue here? Why doesn't he say, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not deal with his pride? That's a big problem, right? If anyone thinks he is religious and does not deal with their immoral lives, why does he pick on the tongue? We'll get to that here in just a second. Now, again, I don't want to spend long on this verse, but let's look at that word bridle. What does the word bridle mean? We probably understand this as far as if we were to put a bridle on a horse's mouth, right? What's the point of the bridle is to bring under control, to be able to rein in, for it to be able to submit. I just mentioned in James 3, James says, because no man can tame the tongue. So we're, we're told to, we need to bridle our tongue to bring it under control, and yet we say no man can tame the tongue. That's the whole point. This is an exemplifying someone with genuine faith because the only way that you can have any control over the tongue is if you are spirit-filled. It's going to be a, a, a supernatural thing because an unregenerate, unsaved person will not be able to control their tongue, as we read here. So the word bridled means to be able to bring under control. Now, there are many different examples we could give for the tongue that is brought under control. Uh, we could talk about one that gossips, We've spent a long time there. Maybe a tongue that speaks a false gospel, one that takes God's name in vain, a tongue that is constantly cutting down others. But I want to just look at one verse and, and draw two applications here for us this morning in reference to our tongue. So Ephesians 4.29, Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, this word corrupting or corrupt, let no corrupt communication or talk proceed out of your mouth. What does this word corrupt mean? It really has, carries the idea of rotten fruit or vegetables. Now, instantly when I was reading through these notes, I instantly thought of a situation uh, that my family encountered a, f a handful of years ago, and I believe it was in my parents' car, that every time we got in their car, there was, a, it was a nasty smell. And I don't know if they just got used to it or what. But we get in there like, what in, the, mom, what in the world is going on? So well, then you're in there long enough and you kind of like forget about it. And then next time we get in there like, oh, that is just disgusting. So we eventually were like, okay, we got to figure out what this is. Well, I don't remember how they unfolded. But basically we ended up finding a, a rotten potato underneath the passenger seat. I have no idea how long it was there. Uh, but it was gross. Now, this was, again, this was a handful of time uh, years ago. Uh, we didn't have a lot. And so, um, I mean, food was hard to come by. And it was just, so, 
we're like, hey, here's a good potato. I mean, it's a little rotten and gross, but we actually ended up cooking it and eating it. Uh, I'm kidding. (laughs) Why would we never do that? Because there's no way I'm going to let that rotten, corrupt potato enter my mouth and touch these lips. This is not going to happen. I don't care how hungry I am. And yet here we have corrupt communication that we allow to proceed out of our mouth and touch our lips on a daily. So let me just give you two examples here this morning. I think this fits, and maybe the Spirit can apply these two in your life, maybe in a different situation. Um, But I'm just going to give you two examples here of what sort of conversation, again, we're talking about if anyone thinks he is a religious and doesn't bring his tongue under control, we're talking about this corrupt communication. What's, What's the first one? Vulgar or inappropriate language, or even language that um, makes light or fun of things that God calls an abomination or sinful. I had an opportunity to uh, work a construction job. If any of you have worked construction jobs, Jeff alludes to that. It's the environment there can cannot always be wholesome. Um, well, I grew up in a, a very conservative, I probably was sheltered to some degree, and so I was in this, my first teaching job, and so I needed to find summer work, and so there was a, a man in our church that owned a, a business and a construction business, and so I got a job from him. I thought, hey, this will be great, I'm working for a Christian guy. Well, all the people that worked for him weren't as a Christian, it was very quickly did I learn that I was, I was under a whole, I entered a whole new world and language that I had never been under before. And so this was just part of the culture. This was just this how it was. I don't know what it is in your work-related area, but maybe that is similar. Well, in this situation, I actually confronted, confronted might be a little strong, I asked because I heard this Christian brother of mine who went to church with me, and he participated in it, and he was one that was involved in it. And that was like, I, I'm not understanding this. And I actually asked him about it. He said, well, it's just, it's just part of the culture. It's just part of it. I don't think so. So... That's one way. I don't know where the world you live in and the job-related or with your neighbors, but that should not be part of a Christian's conversation. Now, that's not really one that I struggle with. And in my work environment, we don't have a lot of issues with that here at the church. And so maybe that is something that the Spirit can work in your life. Okay, but that wasn't really wasn't my issue. But the next one is, and maybe yours too, because the, the verse goes on, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up. And the second one is, you ever struggle with speech that is slanderous? Talk that belittles others. This verse says we're supposed to be having our speech that is building others up. And this is so easily done. In fact, I literally was in a conversation this morning, and a person's name was brought up, and the instant was a comment was made, and I I instantly thought, okay, I'm preaching about this here in a couple of minutes. I cannot let this conversation go. Literally, that's where I was going, and it would have been slanderous. In fact, Chip Ingram gives a, gives a great example of what is slanderous speech, and I refer back to this in my own mind, even use this as illustration many times. So let's, let's say David here is on the uh, front row. Let's say David and I are in a conversation, and we're talking about whatever we're talking about, and I'm wanting to go golf. Hey, we need to do that sometime, by the way. And so we're, we're, just, we're just having a conversation, and all of a sudden, uh, we, we start talking about Teddy. What a great guy he is. But if, if our conversation talking about Teddy, if we end that conversation, and David has a worse impression or view of Teddy than when we started, I have slandered Teddy. Do you ever find yourself 
in a conversation where when you're finished, you have slandered someone's name. Actually, it would probably be more impressive if we could go through the day without doing that. That was a conviction to me this week. We could, again, spend a lot of time, and maybe when we get to James 3, we'll talk more about the tongue. But here, we're specifically talking about religious activities are worthless if our words don't match these actions that we have here on Sunday morning. So if you do all these church things and you think you're something great because you're doing these religious activities, but you don't have control over your tongue, then your religion is just as empty as pagan idolatry. Man, you may ask yourselves as I was like, James, good grief, James, you just got done saying, don't be a hearer only, be a doer, and now I'm doing these things and you're still getting on us. What's the deal? The deal is James understood that it's not just the words I say, but the words I say are an indication of what? My heart. Our words are a reflection of our heart. In fact, let me give you three verses, um, references that, to, to, that speak to this. Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a man thinks in his, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. My thoughts, I was going to expect, uh, reflect my speech as well. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Our thoughts are a, dire- a direct link to our heart. Psalm 19.14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, there's linked again, my words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Luke 6.45, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. James understood. So why did he, why did he use the illustration? If you think you're religious, but you don't bridle your tongue. Why did he use the tongue? Because the tongue is a, exactly saying what is in your heart and who we are, who we truly are. Here's three verses that back that up. So genuine faith has a change of heart, and this change of heart will change our speech. Religion that doesn't transform the heart accomplishes absolutely nothing. So in verse 26, we see that genuine faith is not just an outward religion, but an inward change of the heart that affects our speech. Let's move to verse 27. Verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. True religion is a willingness to apply the word of God unselfishly. So if we were to sum this up in a single word, true religion is demonstrating love. You see that in 1 Corinthians 13, right? We have faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Now, as I was going through my study this week and reading uh, much more than I can even share with you this morning, I was trying to get a picture of what was this first century Christians in this time period, what was the culture like? The more I read, the, the, the more I was amazed at what it would have been like to have to live there. I would have no desire to go back and live during the, this time period. Now, if you know, during the Old Testament and the New Testament, there was a span of how many years? 400 years, okay? So we call those the silent years that we don't have any word of God or inspired word of God or we have prophets who've been given messages. So we have this silent period. And during this silent period, the world was a mess. So here James, and again, Christ comes on the scene. There's a lot more I wanted to say on this, but we just forsake of time. But isn't it interesting, like if I was going to, if I was God and sovereign, if I wanted to put myself in any place in any time in history, 
it wouldn't have been there. I mean, 2020 might have been bad for us. Otherwise, we've had a, we got a pretty good uh, life going on here. The, it was a mess. And yet God broke this 400 years of silence with the coming of Christ. Now, as I was thinking of, okay, orphans and widows, why did he address orphans and widows? And that's why I did a lot of reading on this, and I can't share all that with you here this morning. But it was a very, I would use the word desperate time as far as this, these two groups of people, orphans and widows. So during this time, you would have had a lot of wars, so parents would have been killed from that. There was disease that would have been rampant. Obviously, they don't have the health uh, understanding or health care that we would have uh, here and nowadays. Uh, so parents would die and children just be left. There was no health care or foster care system. And so children are just kind of left to fend for themselves. Now, I, from what I could tell, um, our foster care system here in the U.S. has probably not quite a half a million kids. Uh, so imagine if we didn't have a system that would help those kids and they were just out on their own. I can't really imagine that. Um, but back in this day, they would have had what it seems to be a higher percentage of orphans that would just be left to fend for themselves unless someone would take them in uh, for, for, again, many different reasons. It, again, as I was reading, it was interesting just to see the, the very low value put, placed on life. Uh, infanticide was rampant. So infanticide is where you uh, kill children after birth. Um, before the coming of Christ, just this value of human life was just at an all-time low. In fact, I think this will be on the screen. Reading several different historians just trying to paint a picture of, of what it was like during this time, one historian wrote, in the Greco-Roman world, the most vulnerable in society often had no protections, no rights, and no safety net. Infanticide was a common practice, widely accepted and free of stigma. Any unwanted newborn could be left to die of exposure, with the majority dying from hypothermia or hypoglycemia. Others were buried alive in manure heaps, eaten by wild animals, or sacrificing religious rituals. Maybe if a child was obviously not lucky, lucky, he or she would be picked up to be a slave, a prostitute, or a mutilated beggar. What's the point of that? I mean, just the value of life was low. Um, the orphans were just left to try to fend for themselves. Um, then we have this the idea of widows. And again, based upon my reading, it seemed as though men would marry at 30 to 40 years old, so they would marry a little older. Work conditions would have been very difficult uh, if they were injured or they could even be killed on the job because they're not safety precautions like we have here. But these older men, when they would marry, would marry much younger women, maybe even in their teens because then the parents wouldn't have to take care of them and provide them so the man could do that. But then these men were dying and these widows, these women were left uh, maybe with children. Uh, just very desperate times. So here we have the, the most needy in this, in this society, in this culture, the most needy, as James references, are orphans and widows. And here James is, is writing to these believers scattered abroad, right, for various reasons, a lot of them being persecuted. And James here says, take care of these needy in this society, the orphans and widows. So James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, reminds his readers and says, we need to care for these less fortunate in our society. As I was thinking even through this, the issue comes to me when, as James is writing to this, think of the people that are supposed to take care of the orphans and widows. Did they have much themselves? It was, it was very little. I mean, they were, they were struggling to provide for their own families, and here they are being told to, hey, we need to, and the, again, I'm not going to break down the word visit, but it's not just, hey, go stop by and say, say hi. It's to provide for their needs, to visit the orphans and widows and provide for them but they don't even have barely enough needs to provide for themselves. And I had this thought, and this might apply to someone here. 
God doesn't just ask us to do things when we are stable and ready. He calls us to be obedient. Now, this doesn't really apply specifically to the message, but maybe there's something where God, you feel like God is calling you to do something. And you say, well, when I get all of this in order, or when I get my finances set, but maybe God is just calling you to be obedient. Here are these people that are asked to be and help out these needy in society. They were barely had enough to scrape by themselves. And yet here we have this same call here in America to provide, help the needy, and we have abundant resources. Again, these orphans, widows, would have no way to pay back. They would have no way to pay back the family that was to give them any food or a shelter or anything. But isn't that the gospel? Christ paid a debt that we could not pay. And here James is pleading with his readers to take care of these less fortunate in society. Okay, we get that. All right, that's great. That's all. So what's the lesson for us today? I want to close here this morning by giving you a handful of examples that maybe will fit. And again, this is obviously not an exhaustive list, but some that came to my mind this week. What can I do? Okay, so first, James is reaching out to these Christians that we're supposed to visit the orphans and widows, and we're supposed to help these needy, less fortunate. Okay, so what, what does that mean for me today? Let me give you a few ideas. Get to know the widows in your neighborhood or even here at Graceview and see what areas you can help them. Like what? You can, you can be creative in that. Getting groceries, mowing their yard, fixing a toilet, cleaning out the gutters. I don't know. There's all sorts of things. We have a handful of widows here at Graceview. Maybe you know something even in your, widow, in your neighborhood that you could assist. Uh, Michelle, che- Michelle is here. Michelle Cheatham runs our homeless uh, ministry here at Graceview. If you knew that we had a homeless ministry here at Graceview. I bet you Michelle would love some extra help. Or maybe it's not that you can't give of your time, but you can give of your resources to help the homeless population in Anderson. In fact, that brings up my third one. Sharing the gospel and your resources with the homeless population in our area. Many of us probably wouldn't even dare to talk with them or wouldn't know what to say. My view changed on this. Um, It was a handful of years ago, probably, how long ago was that now? Maybe five or six years ago, Uh, probably about four years ago, actually. Uh, I took a group of 18, uh, my two oldest went with us. We went to Denver, Colorado, and uh, we did a homeless project. What do we mean by that? Well, somewhat of a friend of mine runs a ministry in Denver with a very high homeless population. And so they actually have an organization where they try to take either homeless people or just very low income, try to get them classes, get an education, uh, enough to be able to get a job. Uh, Instead of just throwing them money and giving them the gospel, they actually try to get them to where they can support themselves. Well, they also have, as an extension of this, they have where you can bring a group of young people, whoever, and they can do a homeless project. I don't think that's what it's called. But for two days, we lived as homeless people. Okay? You should have seen the meetings that I had with parents when I was trying to convince them to. So we were in Denver, Colorado on the main drag with whatever number of high school kids that I had with me, homeless. We literally slept on the ground, and it snowed that night. Um, It was an awesome experience. We were given a few dollars. We went to the Goodwill. We bought the clothes we would wear for the day, uh, for those two days. Um, and then we, we, we would go in. We'd provide our food for ourselves and figure out a way. 
The thing about it is, if, I just, if you just put Goodwill clothes on me, I don't look homeless. I just look like a guy who has Goodwill clothes on, all right? Actually, Goodwill clothes is kind of an upcoming thing, so you can actually make a lot of money on that, but that's a whole other story. So we are in Denver, Colorado, and we actually ran into several different homeless people because I mean, this is their life and had conversation. They were asking us what we were doing, and we would just tell them. In fact, one guy um, stopped, and I believe he was a Christian. He was in his right mind and was very alert and prayed with us and thought what we were doing was really cool. All that to say, it changed how I viewed homeless people and having a heart from them. These are real people that have a soul, and they all have a different story, and I know there are mental challenges with some of them. But how we view our homeless people here in Anderson, South Carolina, where most of the time we probably put up, make sure we put up our window and don't look at them, to pre- let's pretend they're not there. That's not what James is asking us here. If we have genuine faith, then we are going to reach out to the most needy in our society. As this next one is near to our heart, but get involved with the foster care system. Not everybody can do this. Uh, this takes a lot of work and time and energy and dealing with government agencies. But maybe it's something that even God has impressed on someone's heart in here that you've just said no, and maybe today's to say, you know what, God, we are called to, to be part of this. Maybe it's donating your old toys that are up in your attic or a bag of clothes that you've had that you need to donate them to an adoption agency. I think Miracle Hill is the one, uh, is that right? Um, or a pregnancy resource center that you could adopt clothes and toys uh, and give those to that you may have. A volunteer at a pregnancy resource center. Reach out and disciple a young teen mom. Let me give you a couple examples. I, I wrote this down too. I probably should have put it with my other one. But supporting families that are fostering a child. We have several in our church right now. We've had several that have that aren't right now. But supporting families that are fostering a child, many of you have been such a blessing to us as a family and making different comments and asking how you can help. Um, you know, the most important thing you could do is just pray for those that are fostering a child. It is work. It can be stressful. It can be difficult. It can be challenging. It's very rewarding. But pray for them. Uh, number two, show love to them by knowing their name and talking with them. I'm talking about the foster children that would come here to Graceview Church. Know who they are. Know their name. Reach out to them. Show that you're, and this, this is a huge way, and you guys do this for us, a huge way to show that you care about what we are doing by just taking interest in what we're doing, even if you can't do it yourself. Um, Several of you have asked about being able to buy things and do and. and we actually get the government has a plan, so they give we get some sort of stipend each month. So it's not a financial necessarily burden, but there may be times where, depending on how it is appropriate to to buy diapers or a toy for a kid, just to show that family because maybe you can't do it yourself, but you're showing support and love to that family who is doing that. And maybe the biggest and most difficult one is consider adoption. And again, I need to to finish up. My thirty minutes are done. But this, this is a, this, these are a couple verses where we, it's easy to come to church, and we're glad you're here. But it's easy to come to church. It, sitting over there and just worshiping, that, that's not hard. That is, that is nothing but pure joy and fun. As a, as a believer, this should just be nothing. But don't just come to church. Don't just give 
give. But don't just give. Don't just sing and even raise your hand and act like you got it all. And don't care and have love for others. And that's what James, on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying. And God's words for us this morning is, what are you doing for someone that is less fortunate than you? We have so many resources in this room. And many of you are so good at giving and are generous. But I don't know what the, the, the Spirit may lead us to do here this morning. We, we talk about giving to Uganda. There's brothers and sisters in Christ that are just needing food to survive. If you haven't been convicted to give to that, it's not too late. We're going to have kids that come here this week. that are needy, that need love. That's what this is talking about. Get your eyes off yourself and see the needs of others. I think the problem oftentimes is we go through life with our schedule and what we have to do, what we got to get done, and we don't, we're not ignoring the needs. We don't even see the needs. Let's see the needs. One commentator put it this way, to James, real worship did not lie in elaborate vestments or in a noble liturgy or in magnificent music or in a carefully wrought service. It lay in the practical service of mankind, serving others, and in the purity of one's own personal life. So come to church, give your tithes and offerings, sing loud, but don't let those things take the place of Christian love. James says that genuine faith and true religion will cause a heart change. It'll affect the words we say. It'll affect the love that we have for others. All right, let's pray this morning. God, as we come to you humbly this morning, God, I pray that you would allow the Spirit to take your word this morning and convict and cause us to change where you want it to. Help us as we have heard God's word this morning. Now help us to do that. God's conviction causes us to maybe need to act in a certain way of, of correcting our speech or maybe in even one of these ways of meeting needs of those that need our help. God, I pray that we wouldn't just hear, but that we would put that into our life and practice and that it would change us. God, we thank you that Salvation brings a change of heart. God, thank you for sending your son to die for our sins so that we can come here and worship this morning. God, help our life even as through this week as we have opportunity to share the gospel with these young people that come to VBS and maybe interact with parents. Uh, God, may we show the love of Christ this week. May your work be done. Even as we continue our mindset with communion and Lord's Supper and what you have done for us. May you accept our worship this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.